Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, Hope. Ready to roll? Me too. So welcome to Hope. My name's uh, Tom. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're just glad that you're here. We're glad you, you got up today and, and, and came to worship with us. And by now, if you're not happy you did it, something might be wrong. Man, what a great time. Amen. So today we're going to finish up our current series that we have entitled Deep Dive. And we've been diving deep, if you will, into the reality of who God is and what our response to discovering who he is, is in this passage, actually the chapter in Psalm chapter 145, those 21 verses. And today I'm going to finish up the, the 21. We're going, to, we're going to look at the last four verses. But we are also today diving deep for the last time in Psalm 145. Next week we'll dive deep somewhere else. In fact, we start a Ephesians series next week. And so we hope that you'll be back for that. But today we want to finish up Psalm 145 and um, just have a great time doing that. One of the things that we always do, it's my turn uh, to quote the scripture with you. Now, if you didn't uh, memorize this one, then you're not going to memorize any of them because there's just very few words. Uh, if you must cheat, there is a uh, card there in your seat on the back is what we're actually going to uh, finish with uh, next week. And I mean, I assume we're going to be quoting it. I don't know. Vance will be quoting it next week, hopefully, maybe by himself. Um, but let's do that together, if you will. Uh, just one verse. You ready? The Lord is righteous in all his and kind in all his Amen. And that's true. Righteous and kind is our Lord. And Pastor Travis did a great job last week filling us in on that. Well, let's just jump right in. In this series, what we've been doing is we've been answering two questions the whole way through. And those two questions were this. What do these verses tell us about God? Number one. What are these four verses that we're going to look at today tell us about God? And then number two. How should we respond to who he is? How are we going to respond to what we now found out about what these verses say about God? So let's look together at how the Bible answers these questions in Psalm 145, verses 18 through 21. If you need the card, it's actually on the card too, so you can use that And if you didn't bring your Bible. But if you have your Bible, great. If not, just look up here. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Amen. So let's just jump right in with question number one. Question number one is, I'll, I'll go ahead and warn you, is a little bit longer than question number two. In fact, it's a lot longer. Question number two is barely even anything today. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that. But the first question is, what do these verses tell us about God? 
What do the verses that I just read tell us about God? And to answer this question, what I'd like to do is I would like to just give you one word. And here's the word. You ready? The word is ready. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the corny pastor here on the staff. So, ready. Ready. These verses talk about the readiness of God. In fact, God is ready. He is ready. Our God is ready. So what's he ready to do, Pastor Tom? What is it that God is ready to do? He is ready to answer you. That's what this, these verses tell us. Our God is ready to answer us when we call on him. Describing how God is ready, the Bible tells us here that first of all, our God is near. God is near. In verse 18, it says so much. Look what it says. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. In the Hebrew language, in the Hebrew Bible, in fact, what you would see if you knew the language is that the, the, the very first word are not the first English words that we have. Our English words are the Lord. Now, the Lord was actually only one word, and it was the word Yahweh. That was not the first word. In most languages, not most, but lots of languages, um, the first the, uh, uh, word order is very important. Word order, uh, what that means is in our language, usually it's subject, noun, direct object. That, I know you're, this is boring to most of you, but, but there's a reason we say he went to the grocery store, right? And there's usually a subject, and then there's a, a, a predicate, and then there's something, whatever, after that to describe it. But in a lot of languages, that's not true. This is one of those languages. The first word in verse 18 is the word near. In fact, there's not even a verb there between near and or even around Yahweh, the Lord. It's just near Yahweh. <laughs> and here's what he wanted us to know. I'm assuming this out of what he says here. Our God is near. Like the thing that we need to realize is that he's not some faraway God who's untouchable. He is a God who wants to be known. He wants us to know who he is. Nearness is a part of God's readiness to answer us. You know, it's really always good when the person who's going to answer you is near you, isn't it? <laughs> Usually, you like to get the answer from a near, near person. Now, if David had stopped, if you look at, these, at this verse again, excuse me, I'm sorry. If David had stopped writing after the first six words, the truth is, here in verse 18, the sentence still would have been theologically accurate. This is important to understand because if we read the first six verses, they go like this. The Lord is near to all. That's good, right? Like, we know that God is near. But he didn't stop with those six. And he, he went on to say the, that he's near to all who call upon him. Before we talk about this call, what do we mean by near? And I've given you a little bit of a hint, but let me just go a little bit deeper. Do we mean just proximity or just geography? We know theologically a, a few things about God. And we've taught it here quite a bit. If you haven't been here, you've probably heard it somewhere else as well. But the Bible tells us that God, theologically, is all-powerful. That he owns all the power. He's omnipotent. There's not anything that he can't do. Thank you. <laughs> he can do everything. We all believe that, right? Usually, we're held up in believing that he actually will do it. Am I, are you with me? But he can do it. Our God can do everything. He's omnipotent. The second thing we know is that God is omniscient. He knows everything. God knows what you're thinking. He knows what you thought. And he knows what you're going to think. 
Scary, isn't it? He knows everything. He has all the details. We didn't come up with science. God came up with science. He just let us in on it. God knows everything. But then the last thing that, uh, that we'll discuss today a little bit, just in this brief moment, is that he's ever-present. Our God is everywhere all the time. Now, God's not a tree, but he's near the tree. You understand? He's not on the stage. He's not the stage, but he's on the stage. He's not around me, but he's, he's in me. Like, God is everywhere. He's present all the time, everywhere, with all power and all knowledge. So this would be true if the first six words were the only thing. God is everywhere. There is no other being like him. We're not like him. Angels are not like him. Not even the devil himself is like him. Listen, don't ever let the devil think. I mean, I hear people say all the time, you know, the devil got me. Well, he didn't. Most of us, I mean, you know, I don't want to presume anything here, but most of us are just not important enough for the devil to mess with. He may have sent an angel to mess with us, but I promise you there are much more important people in the world the devil wants to be on than you. The devil's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time. He's one being. And he can only be in one place at one time, just like me and you. There is nobody who's like God. It is true that God is ever-present. But I think, uh, in fact, I know that as we look at this word um, that, that, that has to do with near, if you will, I think there might be a better way to say it. In fact, when near is used in other places in the Old Testament, to simply, it, it just simply means close. Close. Close in time. Close in relationship. And yes, also close in geography. But here's the truth. Near actually speaks to God's nearness, all right, his closeness, if you will, to us. Sometimes when we hear near, we think we have to be the ones to be near to him. And that's great. And we're going to actually, I'm going to show you a verse here in just a second where the Bible says we should do this. But the truth is here, what the Bible is saying is that God is near you even when you don't realize it. It's him in proximity to us. He is attainable. He is, he is listening. He is that person who is ready to hear us. So why do people call on God? I mean, he said here, if you'll call on me, when you call, I will hear because I am near. But you got to ask yourself this question. Why do people call on other people? Why don't people call on anybody? Well, I started thinking about a great way to describe this. And the thing I came up with that will make more sense than anything, I think, is when we go to the doctor, when we go to our physician, our medical, physical physician. I don't know if you're this type of person. If you are, we need to help you. But nobody goes to the doctor just to go to the doctor, do they? I mean, I'm not a fan of shots, and I'm sure not a fan of the bill. You with me? Nobody pulls into the doctor's office unless they need the doctor. I only go when I need the doctor. If you're a doctor, I'm sorry, but, you know, it's honest, okay? I, and if you do otherwise, something is possibly wrong with you. I go because, here's why, I have a need. And that's why people call on people. It's the reason people call on God. They have a need. And when people don't call on God, it means they don't need God. Now, Jesus said this much in Matthew chapter 9, verses 12 and 13. Jesus said, it's not those who are healthy that need a physician, who need a physician, but those who are sick. 
For I didn't call the righteous but sinners. He said, listen, those who think they don't need me, the righteous, they'll never get me. Those who think they can do this life without me, they're never going to call on me. It's the ones who go, I am messed up. And then God goes, I'm glad you see it like I do. <laughs> right? You know, people come to church or they, 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 they would come to hope and they'll say, man, I just want to be around other people who ain't got any problems. Well, then don't come here. <laughs> the church is the worst place to come if you're looking for people with no problems. There's something about us knowing everybody's got problems that actually makes our problem a little bit smaller. Am I right? But we know who the one is who can fix those problems. And we call on him. Just as, a physical, as in physical health, we seek those who can aid in the healing of our physical bodies and spiritual sickness. We need to do the exact same thing. Only when we know that we are spiritually sick will you ever go to the great physician, Jesus. Here's a question for you to ask yourself. Have you ever called on the Lord in your spiritually sick condition? Ever. Most of us have called on the Lord for something we really want. But is what you really wanted not to be spiritually sick anymore? Lots of people call on God to heal physical sickness. And I think that is awesome and I know that he heals. But I will say this. It, unless you realize that you're spiritually sick, you will never call on him for a spiritual healing. And that's what we need more than anything else. People say, Tom, am I really sick? More than you know. Okay? I'm not sure I'm sick. Oh, you are. You are sick. Romans 3.10 tells us so much. It says there is none righteous, not even one. Not one. Paul says there's not a person who's ever been alive except for Jesus Christ, who was God in the very flesh himself, who is unrighteous. Listen, Mary needed to be saved too. His mama needed salvation. There's not anybody who's ever done it perfectly. We've all sinned. In fact, Romans 3.23 says that as well. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Pastor Vance makes a joke about it a lot, but this word all means exactly what you think it means. All, right? It's the word pontos, but it literally means all, everything, everybody. There's not one person who's ever existed aside from Jesus Christ, who hasn't sinned. That's you and me. And I'm telling you, I've been around the world. I've been in Asia several times around people who didn't even believe there was a God and was taught there wasn't a God. And I've asked them this question, have you ever sinned? Every one of them has said yes. They don't even believe there's a God and they believe they sinned. It's because we know. We look at ourselves in the mirror and we don't have to ask that question. We know us. So whether we're saved or whether you've never been saved, God is near. He is waiting for us to acknowledge that he already knows about who we are. God knows who we are. Do we know who we are? Our sin destroys us and, wants to, and God wants to forgive you for it. But we got to each make that decision individually to call on him. Romans 10, 13 says it's pretty simple though. Bible says for everyone. This actually is another way to say all. It's a, it's a little bit different, but everyone who calls on them, all people who just call on him, he said he would save them. It's simple, but it's hard, right? We've made it hard. In verse 18 here in, the, in, the, in the, the Psalm 145, David speaks of this continual calling. 
I know you, some of you won't um, be impressed with this, and I'm not trying to make it impressive. I just want you to remember this as we, as we go through this. Grammatically, one of the hardest things to do for me is, is understand the uh, Hebrew language and the grammar that's in there for it. But here, it got very, very simple when I began to study. This verb, call, is actually in the imperfect tense. And what the imperfect tense means is that it's not finished. There might, it, it could even mean we're not even sure really when it started, this call, if you will. There's an implication here that this call is not something you do one time and then you leave it and it's done. This call is something that probably you need to do a lot. In fact, let me just go ahead and, and give some counsel here that you probably need to do it every day. This is, this is an ongoing, consistent thing that we must do. It doesn't mean that we're calling on him to save us over and over and over. That's not the implication here because this would be opposite of what the scripture teaches elsewhere. But what it does mean is that sin will chase us down for the rest of our lives. Does anybody agree with that? Listen, you've lived with you long enough to know it's been chasing you. You thought you won when you gave your life to Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's still coming. Am I right? Our older brothers and sisters ought to be yelling from the top of the lungs. If you've been saved for 50 years, you should say, you got that right. But if you've been saved a week, you already know it. It chases us. And so we got to constantly, consistently call on God and recognize him as the strength that we need and the only life that we have. We should never and can never stop calling on him. Then David adds this, this last part to this verse. To all, listen to this, to all who call upon him, and he uses these two words in a prepositional phrase. He says, in truth, in truth. It's interesting because the word translated truth here is actually translated differently in other places. It could be translated firmness, but it could also be translated faithfulness. Now, that's not the best way to translate it here but the root gives it that meaning but isn't that interesting all who call on him in faithfulness his faithfulness absolutely but I got to thinking about it your faithfulness to call on him too God wants that consistent uh, faithfulness that, 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 that is continuous calling on him one that is relentless ongoing and yes faithful or firm God is ready He's ready to turn his ear to the faithful call or request of the child. But here's the question. How faithful have you been to call on him? I know that most of us, when we think about calling on God or requesting from God, it usually is in a time of struggle or hurt or disappointment. And I know that. I know because I know me. The good thing is, is that God's ready even then. He doesn't get tired of us. He doesn't, he's not disappointed that we haven't called on him before. Our God loves to hear from us. He's near, but he's near to those who call on them. There's that, there's that meaning of uh, uh, this and then that, not totally. Not he's listening to everybody, all, even though he is. But here the implication is he listens to those who call on him. He's a God who's close to us. Here's another great question for you. Maybe you're here today and you aren't a Christian. Or maybe you think you are because you grew up in a Christian family or your friend's a Christian. Or you've been to Hope several times. Christians aren't Christians until they give their lives to Jesus. Until they believe what God believes about them. That they need salvation. That sin has separated. And when they do, they call out to God. Here's my question. Have you ever called out to God? Maybe not audibly. Maybe. 
But have you ever asked him to save you? Call out to him. Here's the truth as we move on today. God is ready, check this out, to answer those who have a need for him. There are lots of people who don't have needs for God. But God will draw near to you, James says in James 4.8, as you draw near to him. Our God is near all the time. He is ready to answer, but are you ready to call on him? Then the Bible shifts a little bit. He, he kind of goes into this next verse. And the Bible tells us that God is ready not only because he's near, but because he's able to fulfill our desire to be free from sin, number one. Number two, he's, 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 he has this ability to hear the cry for help that we give. And he also has the ability to save us. God is able to fulfill, hear, and save. This is our God. The Bible says in verse 19, He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and save them. Now check this out. We could actually turn this sentence around a little bit. There's two sentences here. But we could actually put them together. Because, and it could say this. It could say, He will fulfill the desire, hear their cry, and save those who fear Him. Here's what God does. God is really amazing at saying, What do my kids need? Do they recognize their need? Because if the desire that we have to be fulfilled matches his, and the cry that we have is from a heart that God knows we need him, guess what he does? He will save us. Now, this verse is, like I said, an extension from verse 18. Calling on him means that you have a desire that you want filled, a cry that you want heard, and a rescue that only he can give. And he says here that he is ready to do all of that. He's ready. He's sitting on pins and needles, maybe chewing his finger. I don't know what he's doing, but he's ready. He's listening to see if you know about you what he knows about you. In fact, this word fulfill, like what is this desire that he wants to fill? Some people would say, well, this desire is whatever I want, right? I mean, you know, I mean, if I just read it, I said, God's going to fulfill the desire. Hmm, what is the desire? A new house? A new car? I got that desire, Lord. And, and God's like, you nincompoop. What are you thinking? That's not what he's talking about here. Listen, this fulfillment that you need, and maybe you don't even know to ask, is to be right with him. It's to be free from sin. It's to be free from shame and the spiritual sickness that we've already talked about even up to this point. The word fulfill literally means to do or to make. In other words, God himself responds to the need that we recognize, that he has already recognized. God will create what needs to be created. He'll make happen what needs to happen. He will make, in, listen, he'll make happen whatever needs to happen every time. God will fulfill the call we have on him. When? To, to everybody? No, no, no. To those who fear him. This word fear is not a word that means to be scared. It's a word that means to honor. It's a word that means to be reverent of. It's, it, it, it's, listen, there are people in your life that you just think the world of. Like when Pastor Van stands up, some of you are just, you know, you, you're looking for your pen to get the autograph. You know what I'm saying? Like he's the guy. And, and, when, he, and when he does, when he says something, you're just like, oh my gosh. That's ex-cathedra. We need to write that in the Bible. Because you revere him, like, like you honor him, and you see, like, like you, you, you understand him. The Bible says here that God recognizes us. God fulfills as we honor, as we fear him. Here's what I found out. 
When I fear God and honor him, I don't ask for stupid stuff. I ask for things he's already thought of. About me sometimes, but about other people and what is needed in this world. All of a sudden, my, my, my desires change and I begin to pray what God himself prays. God fulfills as we call on him. And this cry that, that he talks about here, that he hears, the Bible says he, he hears their cry. Whose cry? The ones who fear him. What does it mean to hear? Well, he hears our voice, absolutely. But it, it goes a little bit deeper than that. He hears our, our heart as we make pleas to him. He is near. He responds and he hears. Psalm 121 verse 4 says that God doesn't sleep nor does he slumber. I don't know about you, but this does not describe me. When I sleep, I'm, you, I'm telling you, you give it 10 seconds, I'm out. There's like a switch on my behind when I, I, I can do it almost, well, I can't do it anywhere. But I, listen, if it's time to go to bed, daddy's in the bed, all right? And my wife, my poor wife and my kids, it, 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 I, you know, I hope nothing happens at night. I slumber. The Bible says he doesn't. The one who taught us about what rest was, he's always listening for you. He's always awake. See, you think that because you ate pizza last night and got some heartburn and you woke up at 2 a.m., that was the pizza. But the truth is, maybe God wanted you to eat the pizza so he could talk to you because it's the only time he can get you alone enough. There's no distraction. Thank God for pizza. you understand what I mean though like he hears us and as creepy as it sounds the truth is he's watching you sleep he watches when your eyes open for the very first time in the morning he sees when they close at night for the in that split second that's our God he's ready not just to be near you he's ready for you to call on him and he wants to hear your cry. Listen, he also knows when we supposedly cry or ask for things we shouldn't be asking for. Like he knows exactly what that looks like. When we call on him in a fleshly manner, oh, he hears us, but he can't answer a request that's opposite of him. I'll give you an example of this. My kids will say, hey, dad, I want this. And you can put like 8,000 things in that blank. You know? Hey, dad, what about this right here? You know, and and then when I don't buy it or they don't get what they want, they'll say something like this. They'll say, hey, Dad, did you not hear me? You know what I say, those of you who are parents, right? Oh, I heard you. <laughs> 16-year-olds in the McCormick household don't get Corvettes. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you get what I've been driving for 10 years. That's what you're getting. Why? Because I don't just make it happen because they have a request. What makes me act to my kids, though, is not their want of something or simply asking, but by the heart in which they ask it. When my kids are scared or they're nervous about something that they just want to happen and they're, they're doing the right thing. I, I had one of my uh, kids, uh, I, was, I was dropping them off at school one day, and, and they were first grade, second grade, something like that, and... Before they got out of the car, just started weeping. I'm like, oh, Lord, we need to, you know, what's happening? <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Are you hurt? Do we need to go to the doctor? You know, what's happening? You know, and, and they were like, uh, I'm not sure I'm ready for my spelling test. 
Well, you know, when it's cat, hat, and run, and dog, you know, you, you know as a 40-year-old man, you, you're going, how hard could that be? <laughs> but when you're a first or second grader, that stuff matters. If you care, I mean, actually, it didn't matter to all my kids, to be honest, that much. But to this one, it did matter. And, and, and we laugh about it, and it seems so small now especially. But that's really how God is with us too. Small things that matter to us matter to him. And nothing's too big or too small. At the same time, it's the heart with which we ask. And when we're in line with him and we know him and fear him and call on him, the reason is because we already agree with him and we agree with him. We're probably going to have the right desire anyway. And we're going to cry out rightly and not wrongly. And our God is always, always there. I act in the best interest of my kids and so does God with us. And that's the difference in asking God and crying out to him. In fact, the word cry is an interesting word. It's not talking about the weeping that comes from the eyes, nor is it a simple request that we have flippantly, but here literally a cry for help. It's, it, 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 it's that bloody murder. It's that blood-curdling cry of, oh, Lord, I can't. I need you. God hears these cries from his children, and he hears you. Here's what I want you to know today. Pastor Travis led us this morning in a time where people got around you and prayed when you're really struggling through something. Let me just know. Let me, God hears you. Don't stop. It's that imperfect tense of keep going. Don't give up. Listen, our God knows what he's doing and he's got everything well in hand and he's going to put everything right when it's his way and his time. But you got to understand and know our God is hearing it all. Not only hearing it, it doesn't say it here, but seeing it all too. He's well informed. Those who fear him cry out to him. But then lastly, those who fear him also, the Bible says here, who call out to him and who get their desires filled and who cry out to him, they, they can be rescued. The Bible says he saves them. This means exactly what you think it means, the word saves. It means to rescue. It means to make, to survive. You see, save is also in the imperfect tense. And this doesn't mean that God saves you today and then he saves you tomorrow. And save, But the truth is, there is a little piece of that that's true in, in, in the fact that if God ever lets you go, you would be lost again because he's got you. Now, it's over and done with, but what keeps us saved is him, not us. You've lived with you long enough to know that, right? That's why people think, I got to get saved again. No, you don't. Your salvation is based on what he did, not on what you're doing. God, in his sovereignty, has everything well in hand. The Bible says he saves. It doesn't mean that he continues to have to save you. Again, theologically, that would be wrong. But here's what I will say. God does not save every human from the mere standpoint that they're human. In fact, all humans won't be saved. The Bible says that the gate is wide to hell and the gate is narrow to heaven. Got a feeling it's like one person wide, Jesus, and then we go behind him, right? I mean, I'm not, you know, it doesn't say that, but I'm picturing it in my mind. But what it does mean is that most people won't be saved. But it won't be because he didn't offer. It won't be because there wasn't a way. Lots of people have rejected Jesus. But he does save and he will save, but because you're a human, you aren't saved. Some people say, you know, we're all children of God, right? No, we're all created by God, but we are not all children of God. I became a child of God on August 17, 1980. 
Some of you may not know your exact date. Some of you do know your date. That's awesome. Doesn't matter if you know it or you don't know it. Here's what I can tell you. There was a day when I became a child of God. In fact, I was given the right to become a child of God by Jesus Christ himself. You say, Tom, this is like an evangelistic message where you want people who've never been saved to be saved or you want people to doubt what they believe about their salvation. Not at all. First part, absolutely. Our God is near. If you call on him, he'll save you. You see, God is near. He's ready to save. He's ready to fulfill the desire to be saved. He's listening patiently for the cry for help the very first time when you say, I need you, Lord. And he is more than ready to forgive you and to make you a child of God. But here's the question that you have for yourself today. What is your desire for God? Do you want him? Is there a desire for his help in your time of struggle? Do you know that you need him? Have you asked him to save you? He will save you. I think this is important for us who are in the faith too to understand, even though, you know, when I look at this, I'm like, I got it, you know. Got it, Lord, I'm already in, you know. I'm saved already. Here's the deal. Most of the people you're going to see today aren't. Neighborhood, maybe even in your home, at your workplace, most of those people don't know the Lord. It ought to break our heart more than it does if they don't know him. If we go on a mission trip, our hearts are broken, right? Well, there's a mission field right here. They don't know him. And it's so simple that if they'd call out to him, he'd save them. They got to know what they, what, and, and God has put you in their life to get them to see that. The last thing that David says in this psalm, by the way, we're still on point one. Yeah, I didn't get many laughs last time either. It's still point one, okay? But we're almost finished with point one, and point two is really small, okay? So the last thing David says in this psalm is that God, who is ready to answer you when you call to him to rescue And he saves you. He's also ready. And this may be my favorite part, okay? He keeps you. God will keep you. God will keep you. The Lord, the Bible says here, the Lord keeps all who love him. This word keep means to watch or to protect. Now, a few weeks ago, when Pastor Vance was here, he preached a sermon. He talked about the word loving kindness, if you remember that. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Don't worry about it. I'm about to explain a little bit of it. It, But when he defined what loving kindness was, he did it by using an illustration about a parent and a child who are walking across a parking lot together into a a grocery store or or, or into some some, uh, store or whatever where there are lots of cars and lots of parking spots. And the parent gets out and grabs the child's hand. And honestly, the the child grabs the parent's hand too. Those of you who are parents, you know what this is like, right? When they get able to walk, they want to go do the deal, you know. And So you got them, you got the little child like this, and you're walking along. And then all of a sudden, they remember that there are toys in this place. I've been here before. I see this, the red circles. There's toys and then there are hills. And you know what they do? The first thing the child does, let go. Right? Because they're going to get in there. <laughs> they're going to get to the toy aisle, all four of them now, because they're selling all of them online on Amazon. So yeah, they're, they're, they're going into the toy store. It's fa- but the problem is, is that what they didn't realize is, yeah, they thought they had their parent's hand, but what really is the truth is that the parent had their hand. I can remember doing this when my kids were all little. Get out of the car, and, and a couple of them, you had to catch them before they were gone. You know, you sit them out of the seat, and you're like, oh, hey. Whoa. A couple of my kids would sit beside me. They knew who had, had the money, you know what I'm saying? But 
the others didn't really get there was a money thing. And so they just take off. You'd have to grab them. And, and I can tell you that throughout life, I mean, there were a couple of scraped knees, you know, because they wanted to go. And then I'd drag them a little bit, you know. <laughs> they, I'm going in. Maybe a couple of contusions, you know. On the, they bumped their head. I didn't hit them. All right. Just, you know, I mean, little things that happen, you know, on asphalt is what I'm saying. But to be honest, that's really a good picture of what happens with God and you. You get out of the car and you want to run in and God said, hang on. There's some danger you don't know about. I'm going to hold your hand. And then you try to take off. You get a couple scrapes and it's your fault. But he's got your hand. Because the truth is, is your salvation is not based on you holding his hand. Your salvation is based on him holding yours. That's a picture of what it means to be kept, for him to keep, to watch over, to protect you. Now think about what we've said up to this point. This God is near. This God is one who hears the cries of his people and fulfills the desire of their hearts and then saves them. But he doesn't stop there. He says he's going to keep them. And here's the interesting part. This word keep is, not, is, is one of only two of the, imperf- the, uh, of the verbs that aren't imperfect. You say, who cares? Here's why that matters. The other verbs all say there's, we're not sure when the starting point was and we're really not sure how long it lasts. We just know it, it's kind of continual. Uh, but it hasn't ended yet. But this word keep is one that is, does have an ending. It's a one-time deal. When God grabs your hand, he ain't ever letting go. Some of you thought he let you go. No. Those scrapes and contusions you got, he still got you. Oh, you're bleeding, might need stitches. But he's got you. The Bible says that he will keep us. He protects us. And guess what? He says the, 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 the people he keep are the ones who love him. This is the only other verb that's not imperfect. This is a, a, a it, well, anyway. God wants you to love him. Now, you're going to have to choose to love him every day, absolutely. But I promise you this, August 17, 1980, I said to God one time, and I meant it too, right? Uh, uh, July the uh, 18th, 1992, when I married my wife, I told her that one time that I loved her. I've told her more than that, obviously. But um, (laughs) when I said it that day and we slipped the the rings on each other's fingers, guess what? 26 years later, we're still here. I meant it. I ain't going nowhere. If she goes somewhere, I'm I'm going. I'm packing and going with her. She may not like it, but I'm going. (laughs) That's what that word love looks like right there in the grammar. It's done. It's settled. You see, we're to love him. This is not a love that wavers. It also means a finish no matter what. It will be this kind of love for God. It's settled. Well, so is his keeping of us. It's settled. You see, this chapter then takes a turn here um, in, in the last few words of verse 20. Look at it there. I don't have it for the screen, but look at it there. It says, but the wicked he will destroy. Man, all of a sudden, all of a sudden he's talking about those who fear him and those who call on him. And like, like there's all these presuppositions. And now all of a sudden he just comes out with this blatant, here's what's going to happen to people who don't love me. Here's what's going to happen to those who don't call. Here's who's gonna, what's going to happen to people who aren't saved. 
destruction. As surely as we can count on the incredible, incomparable, merciful, loving, and gracious traits of God that we've already read about, we can also count on this. There is a reckoning day coming. God will separate the, what he says is the wheat from the, from the chaff, from the tares, if you will. Because not only is God a loving God, he's also a just God. He cannot be around and tolerate sin. But the wicked, he says, he'll destroy. I don't really have to describe destruction here, I think. But I do want to just briefly. Some people think they'll turn into like a little styrofoam popcorn that comes in packing material and just be thrown into hell and you'll burn up like that little styrofoam popcorn does in a campfire but it's not like that at all there's no annihilation that happens with people who are separated from God forever in fact hell is a place you live you die forever living I know it's oxymoronic in how it sounds but you actually live there you say Tom where is it well the only answer I got is it's where God isn't Because I don't know. It's just the presence of God is not there. If it was there, it wouldn't be hell. What makes heaven heaven? That is where God is. And there's this time that we have right now to be able to say, I want to be with God or I don't. And today's the day for some of you. You see, there's this contrast between those who love God and those who don't. It has to do with eternity. You love him, you spend eternity with him in heaven. You also get a great life here. It's not a perfect life, but I'm telling you, it's a joyful life. There can be peace in the midst of struggle and trial. But then there's the never call on him people. Those who never call on him are separated for eternity in that place that we call hell and that the Bible does. So our God is ready because he's near, able to fulfill the desires to be saved. Hear our cry for help to be saved. Then he saves us and he keeps us as well. And our God is ready. Amen. He's ready. Your neighbors need to know it. Your family members need to know it. Listen, you need to know it. This is what God is like. But let's answer that second question and we'll go home. How should we respond to who he is? What is our response? What is our response to his readiness to answer, save, and keep us? What is our response? Well, we've already talked a little bit about it, and so I won't go back over any of that. But I do want to read verse 21 because I think it's a perfect way to end this sermon today. Uh, of, of what our response actually should be. The Bible says, my, listen, listen to what the psalmist David said. He said, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. You know, I don't know all that that means, but most of it's pretty clear. We're supposed to praise the Lord. We're going to do that here in just a minute. When the team comes and when the music begins to play, we're going to praise the Lord together. In fact, the name of the song is Praise the Lord, so it's perfect. We're going to do that together. But it doesn't just mean to praise Him here in the sanctuary. It means to praise Him with your life. But it's the last part that gives me a little bit of consternation and not really understanding. All flesh will bless His holy name forever. All I know know to answer that is this. Nobody will be confused in eternity who was God. Nobody's going to be going, listen, no atheists in eternity. No agnostics in eternity. Everybody will be bright-eyed. We will know who was who as it pertains to him. Our God is ready to save us. He's quick to hear us. 
We've talked about he's slow to anger. And we, as we've gone through all this chapter, we found a lot of things. And so we put a paragraph together for you that I want to read as we finish today and why we should praise God. God is God. It's a great way to start, right? Now, it's a little obtuse. Of course, you would say God is God, but just be honest. Tom is Tom, and if you knew Tom, it'd make a whole lot more sense. Okay? Am I right, Jerry? Tom is Tom. Right? Amen. God is God. But check this out. Here's why he's God. It all begins with him. It's all about him. He's creator and king of everything that exists. There is no one and no thing above or beyond him. Yet his God is knowable, desiring a personal relationship with each one of us. Psalm 45 goes on to tell us that God is great and active from generation to generation. His word and creation reveal that he is awesome, good, and righteous. God is eternal in his, in his, in his existence and unchanging in his nature. He is both gracious to give more than we deserve and merciful to withhold what we do deserve. Even when we're unfaithful, God remains slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Because God is in complete control, every moment of every day, humanity enjoys the divine gifts of God being good to all. This God constantly demonstrates his goodness toward us by always sustaining and raising us up in the midst of trouble. Therefore, we have hope and can place all of our trust in him. Because he is also always enough, being our salvation, source, and ultimate satisfaction. Righteous and kind, God always knows and does what's best for us. And finally, God is ready to be near us, to fill out our desires, to hear and to save all who fear him and keep all who love him. This is our God. What we've tried to do is not just put succinctly into a paragraph what, the, what we believe these verses teach about God, though we did. We actually have hoped that when you walked in this door, you left with a higher view of God than when you walked in. That when you left, you said, you know, there's something about God that I've just not understood, or maybe I didn't know, or maybe I did know, but boy, I needed the reminder. That's what we've hoped. And we don't want you to forget it. What we're going to do now is we're going to go into a time of invitation. And I was serious a few minutes ago when I talked about not knowing who Jesus is or not accepting him as Savior. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. If you'll bow your knee, not literally necessarily, but bow the heart of yourself and say, Lord, I need you. This word says that he will hear you. and He'll save you. That's it. That's too easy, isn't it? I agree. God made it super simple for us. He just wants you to know you like he knows you. And he wants you to agree with him about it. If you'd like today to come down here and say, Tom, I don't know if I'm a believer or not. I know I'm a human who was made by God, but you said I'm not a child of God just because I'm a human. And that's true. You can give your life to Christ today. We'll have pastors here on the side. If you're already a believer and you just want to pour some stuff out to God and say, God, you're all these things. I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to follow you like I said I would when I gave my life to you. Praise the Lord. Just admit that. God can fix every single thing in your life. He may or may not fix it the way you want it, but our God knows what he's doing. He is all those things. And a whole lot more. He's more than that. 
we don't have enough screens or enough computers to top it all in. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Lord, there's so much we didn't talk about because it wasn't in this chapter. But the truth is, is that what we do have, God, is so much, it's hard for our minds to even fathom. God, you are good and gracious and kind. And you're all those things. But that you want any part of us is what amazes us probably more than anything else. Thank you for your goodness. God, would you save people today? Would you take that seed that you've planted? And God, would you bring it to fruition and harvest it when you, when you see fit? We pray these things in Jesus' precious name.